Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Who's ready to try again? Monday was a downer. Jazz played and lost. The Cougars played and lost. Okay, so Tuesday, no local teams playing. We've got a chance to regroup. Let's get after it again today. Starts at 9.30 this morning. Sacramento State and Weber State. In the Big Sky Tournament opening round, Weber State's 12-19. and 19. This has been a terrible year. Probably one and done. Idaho and SUU at noon, another first-round game in the Big Sky. Idaho's 8-23. SUU's 16-15. SUU better be able to win this. 1 o'clock, Utah and Oregon State in the opening round of the Pac-12. That's 8 versus 9. They split the two games head-to-head, one home-and-home. Home. Winner gets the one-seed Oregon in the quarterfinals. Yikes. But somebody can pick up a win. Oregon State's 17-13. and 13. The Utes are 16-14. and 14. So Pick up one more win if you can. Extend the season another day. Why not? Larry Krostowiak, his pregame comments, his thoughts as the Utes get ready to face the Beavers in the Pac-12 tournament. How was practice today? Nice and calm? Uh, you know, I think we're in a good place. Um, you know, we, we went pretty good for about an hour. It's always kind of a, a catch-22 if you get an injury this time of year. Um, but I think we have a pretty good game plan. And, you know, a history of two games where I thought Oregon State at our place, it looked like we wanted a little bit more, and we won. And then we went to Corvallis, and it looked like they wanted a little bit more. Now we're playing on a neutral site, and it's probably still going to come down to who wants it a little bit more. So I, I'm, I'm happy with the mental side of it, and hopefully we can keep playing with a lot of energy. To go back and look at the previous two games, what are some memories that were jogged up? Well, it was, it was atrocious at Corvallis. Uh, it wasn't a good memory that I, that I had some flashbacks. Um, you know, we, we were uh, real stagnant against their zone. We turned it over a number of times at uh, at Corvallis, and then when we got point blank shots, we missed a high volume of those. Uh, I think we missed an opportunity for 12 free throws in the first half, eight eight free throws in four front, three front ends of one and one. So there were a lot of things that we kind of shot ourselves in the foot um, at their place, and then we just played with a lot of energy at our place. On Saturday after the win against Colorado, you, you commented on Vegas being a kind of a hard town to sit around and kill time in. And mm. I, I could not agree with you more. So having that early afternoon game, is that really refreshing? Well, I'm, I don't always do well on game days. Uh, I usually try to catch a little yoga. And, uh, it's just hard until the ball gets tipped up. you know. And then especially, I can remember the last few years, I think we played the last game on Thursday night. So... You sit through all the games Wednesday, and then you sit through three games uh, on Friday, and by the time you're playing, it's almost like you've already played a game. You know, there's so much emotion built up. So, we're you know, it's a challenge to play at noon for both teams. Um, but I love the fact that we get up, have a little film, eat breakfast, and then you don't have much time to, you know, everybody else gets to sit back and watch your game. So, I, I like where we're at. Larry, Jimmy picked up uh, all Pac-12 on yesterday. Can you just speak to how important He's been a you know a big time catalyst for us, um, you know, and I think he's really developing as a player. Yeah, it was amazing getting through the uh, preseason that he was the Pac-12 leading scorer. I don't think he would have predicted that. We would have predicted that, but he found a lot of opportunities. And then his scouting reports uh, improved, and the physicality and the level of athlete that we play in our conference improved. Uh, you know, it's been a learning experience, but he's done, he's had some huge games for us. Uh, 
one of the things moving forward that he's really making an improvement on and it's been a focus is to get his feet in the paint as one of the guys on our team that's capable of doing that and not always thinking about a termination move for himself but finding some other guys to bring them in you know a little inside out and so that's been a that's been like a lot of players have to address some things as the year goes on he's kind of been under the microscope because that's been a major factor of our success and so we're going to need that moving forward when you have seniors this time of year they tend to have a natural sense of urgency you don't have that obviously on your team would you try to emphasize that you know it's a one and done type situation to help them increase the sense of urgency yeah that no that's a really good question you know you don't gain that um without experience a lot of times but I think I think we've got a pretty mature group to understand that and a lot this week I think we've talked about that a lot you know we don't have a whole lot of seniors we've got Mark Reiniger um, and so I, I've said all week you don't need to wait until you're a senior to play with that kind of sense of urgency because it goes fast enough yeah. you know you just look around and and we always do the number on the board um, the first day of practice I write how many days we have until the championship game of the Pac-12 tournament on the left side of the board and that's usually about 100 I think this year it was 136 and the number on the right side of the board is the number of wins that we have and as the year goes on obviously the left number drops the right number goes up and it was just here a couple weeks ago before that inverted and the number on the left was smaller and so we always try to stress the sense of urgency for our guys and when you're a senior and you've done that for four years uh, they always say man it's gone fast so I think everybody's kind of been fast forwarded a little bit I mean back to the Timmy question he's he's a sophomore Booth's a sophomore Riley's a sophomore you know we have a lot of youth and we them to kind of take on a, a senior leadership thing so maybe cast into it a little bit earlier but to answer your question I think we all understand uh, and the co- it's some, some a lot of that's on us to make sure that we stress that for them because sometimes guys don't know what they don't know Larry has uh, has Ryland practice has he gotten through concussion protocol might be going no no what does one win do as far as injecting confidence coming into the tournament well I mean in my experience here it's there's nothing like it you know, when uh, the years that we've won some games, uh, you're talking about trying to win the first game, not the Actually, I'm talking Colorado. about, yeah, both. You, you got to win coming into it, and then if you should win tomorrow. Yeah, I think, I think we're at the point of the season uh, with the sense of urgency uh, and the amount of work that we put in and the amount of teaching and the, the blood, sweat, and tears from everybody. Any win when you get into March uh, is a positive one, and obviously we're in a, a winner-go-home situation so um, I do think we garnered a little bit of confidence from last Saturday it had been a little stretch where it had been hard we played well Uh, we beat a really good team Um, and so I do think that that kind of validates and gives you a little bit of that magical elixir to where you can feel good coming into something like this but I've always said you're only going to be as good as your next game so you can take that so far and and then you hear sometimes you know because you've had to buy the last few years and then lose and you hear sometimes that it's actually an advantage if you can get out on the floor break a sweat and all that type of stuff Uh, maybe not in the long term but in the short term uh, if you win I mean you'll you'll, I guess you could have that well yeah I'm I'm not a big uh, proponent of of that necessarily um you know if you've got a really deep uh team that's been together a while and you win the first one i think everybody always says oh that was good they kind of got it's it's the it's the narrative for the winning team right um 
you know so I think it's still about this it's a sense of urgency and we don't have a particularly deep team so it isn't about hey let's try to garner some you know confidence or a little feel good but I think there'll be four games tomorrow uh you know going in there'll be four winners and then on the Thursday night game there might be some discussion about that like yeah we did get and that's happened before I think in our case more it's been running into the wrong team with Oregon like last year you know where they win 10 games in a row and make it to the sweet 16 and if they hadn't won the Pac-12 tournament they don't even go to the NCAA tournament so that's one of those situations that uh you know that was that was costly to us and we're just hopeful that we can get a win whether it you know and I've said a lot of years it's nice to get that by but it's kind of bit us uh in the rump too so right now we're just it's survival mode there's Larry Kristoviak, the third of three college basketball games today. It tips at one, and it's the third one. How funny is that? How funny is that? Sac State and Weaver State at 930 in the morning. Idaho and uh, at SUU uh, get after it at noon, and then the Utes at one. Uh, UVU doesn't play until tomorrow night in the quarterfinals of their WAC tournament. All right, when we come back... Time to shift gears a little bit and talk Utah Jazz. The Jazz are playing the Thunder tonight. The Jazz are one game in front of the Thunder. Uh, Houston's trying to get back in the race for a 4-5 series. They picked up a win last night. They got a win over the Minnesota Timberwolves to snap their losing streak. So maybe that loss over the weekend was rock bottom with Orlando blitzing them at home by 20. Maybe it was. All right, when we come back, Ben Anderson, stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Ben Anderson joined us late in yesterday's show, pregame, halftime, and postgame host on uh, the radio broadcast here on 97.5 and 1280, The Zone of the Utah Jazz. PK and I, now you hear some last night references. Obviously, we're talking about Monday night. You get the point. But he's got some interesting thoughts on the Jazz, what's gone right, what's gone wrong, and where they stand now. DJ and PK, time to talk Jazz basketball with Ben Anderson. Hear him on the Jazz radio broadcast, pre-half and postgame. He's on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Lease any phone and get an iPad or Samsung Tab A for $99.99. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. Ben, good morning. Good morning. So, Ben, the Jazz lose. There are probably several reasons, but what is one that jumps out at you as the most important? Uh, I mean, probably just the poor shooting from their, their three best offensive players, or at least maybe their most, you know, three recognizable offensive players. You go seven of twenty-eight with Donovan and, and Boyan Bogdanovich and Rudy Gobert and score just twenty-two points. I mean, I think that's probably the easiest point to look at and say if one of those guys has an average night, it's a much different basketball game. Why do you think Bogdanovich has been so hot and cold here race, recently? I do think some of it's the, the scheme right now. The teams are playing and, and their recognition that hey, if you put a smaller defender on him, he's not necessarily comfortable shooting over him from the three-point line, so he feels like he needs to put the ball on the floor, and then they poke the ball away, and that seems like it's been a really common issue for Boyan, so I think that's the main problem, and he's he's got to adjust to the fact that he's either got to shoot over him and be comfortable doing it, but eight shots on a night like last night's probably too few when the Jazz offense is struggling so bad. 
You know, one thing is when you see a team shooting low percentage, often they've uh, stopped going to the hoop. But you look at the shot shot after the game, and Bogdanovich was uh, 0 for 3 inside of about 6 feet. Donovan Mitchell was 1 for 8 inside of 6 feet. Do we chalk that up to the Toronto Raptors' extraordinary length and athleticism changing a lot of those shots? Yes and no. I mean, there was just some bad luck. Uh, Jordan Clarkson on a fast break tried to draw a foul on Pascal Siakam instead of just going up and laying it in or dunking the ball. And it was in some ways the right play because it would have put Siakam in foul trouble in a game that they just had no depth. But uh, at the same point, you just need the points. You just, you just needed that basket, and they blew it. So uh, I think in some they just missed some bunnies. They missed some easy shots. And, and some nights that's going to happen to you, and it's going to be the difference in the game. Uh, but also, you know, there is a modern uh, – the Houston Rockets have did it a little bit with Robert Covington, though it seems like it's fallen off. Just kind of a modern belief that you can defend the rim with smaller basketball players, and it probably actually goes back to those those Heatles teams, the LeBron, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh teams that didn't have a true rim protector and were still really good defensively at the rim. So as we look at this team since the All Star break, it's been hot or cold, and maybe Bogdanovich has been a symbol of this. I'm wondering as we go forward, though. Is this who they are? Because there's time to, to get going here and maybe move up a seat or two, or do you expect more of the same? Offensively, yes, this is probably who they are. But, you know, they're, they're a jump-shooting team. They're a three-point shooting team, and those are going to have hot nights, and those are going to have bad nights. And when you're hot, you're going to be almost impossible to beat. And when you're not, you're going to be beatable. Now, I think the good news is you're starting to see the defense improve. And clearly, Quinn Snyder and Rudy Gobert have talked about that a lot and how it needs to improve. Uh, and last night, they were pretty good defensively. And in, in, in their last six games now, they haven't had a defensive rating of worse than 120, which 120 is an enormously high number, but they, they were giving that up basically every other game in February. So I think that's getting better. And if your defense gets better, that's where you can find more consistency. But still, you know, not to be too cliche, but, you know, it's a make or miss league. And, and the Jazz missed some shots last night that they needed to make. And the Raptors made some shots that the Jazz needed them to miss, including that, that late three from Kyle Lowry, which is not a high percentage shot, but he made it. And that cost him the game. So do you feel like this is about to be uh, another losing streak after the winning streak after the losing streak? And we know how this has been going now for, uh, you know, the better part of a month. Yeah, I mean, the, the games you've got coming up should be somewhat winnable. You know, uh, I mean, Oklahoma City is a very tough game. That's not, that's not a gimme by any stretch. But then you have two games at home against teams you're better than. Now, games at home that the Jazz are better than hasn't necessarily meant anything recently, where the Jazz are 3-7 and seven at, in Salt Lake in their last 10 games. You know, they lost to Phoenix. They lost to San Antonio. The Jazz aren't beating teams that they should be beating in Salt Lake. So that's, that's troubling. But no, I would think we probably don't see a really long losing streak now of four games or more, which the Jazz have had basically every time they've stepped on the floor. So I think January 7th, the Jazz are either winning games in long stretches or losing games. I, I bet they break that this week. Yeah, you say troubling. I mean, I say shocking as far as this lack of home court success. Uh, I can't put my finger on it. Does it just boil down to shots not going in in those situations or what? I do think that's some of it. I mean, they're just inconsistent. They, they don't have a very solid identity uh, other than being a three-point shooting team. And, again, some of that is, yeah, just shots aren't going in. But you, just, you don't see the same effort every night. You don't see the same identity from the team every night. Donovan Mitchell doesn't seem to know where he's going to get his shots every night. And that's not that he doesn't know that he's going to get his shots. He gets his shots. They just 
don't generally seem to come from the same area or the same spot some nights. So I feel like that's an issue as well. And, and that's on Donovan. That's not on the rest of the team or the coaching staff. That's just, you know, he needs to figure out, you know, if he's three of six from three, maybe some nights he needs to dial it in and, and shoot a few more threes as opposed to trying to get to the rim. And, and some nights, if he's not shooting well, he needs to find a way to get to the rim and, and, and score more efficiently or go to the free throw line. Uh, and he, I don't think you saw enough of that last night. So how many parallels do you see between the Jazz and the Rockets, teams that the three is really important because the Rockets take so many or because the Jazz shoot such a high percentage in relation to the rest of the league? Uh, how much of this is live by the three, die by the three, even if last night was a little bit of die by the two? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's certainly some similarities there, and I think that was probably the design. I mean, in the offseason, I think the Jazz said, hey, we're losing to this Rockets team because we can't hit enough threes to stay with them, so we're going to go get a bunch of three-point shooters to try and stay with them. And they did that, and, you know, that's, <laughs> the Rockets might not be their main opponent right now or may not be their uh, their biggest enemy that they have to get through if they want to advance in the playoffs. So I guess that is some of the flaw of designing yourself to, to beat a specific team in the postseason, and I, I think we've seen that happen in the NBA in the past. Uh, so I definitely think there are some parallels there. I mean, I think that was who the Jazz have been gauging themselves or measuring themselves against for the last two seasons. When you say, you know, the Jazz is so far as a three-point shooting team, how many teams are you putting in that in that category? Because it seems like just about not necessarily all of the Western contenders, and I use the word contender a little looser than I would have maybe earlier in the season relative to the Jazz, but it seems to me there's a lot of teams in that same boat. I mean, I think that's just the NBA. Greg Popovich last year said he didn't like basketball anymore because all you have to do is look at the box score and see who hit more threes to, to win games, and a little reductive and and it's certainly not the case but I mean I was looking at the Milwaukee Bucks last night and the games that they've lost they've lost I mean I guess 13 now but if you exclude last night when they didn't play anybody uh, when they were going up against the Denver Nuggets in their 12 losses seven games or more their opponent has hit 41 percent of their threes or better so basically if you hit 40 percent of your threes and the Jazz did it you have a chance to beat them and if you don't you're probably going to lose so that's the only way to beat some of those teams and look milwaukee takes a lot of threes now they give up a lot of threes and there's kind of something funny going on there because the toronto raptors we saw last night gave up a ton of of threes and the jazz were somewhat successful uh but but i do think that's going to end up being probably ultimately what decides the championship this year is you know which team shoots best in the in the finals or in the conference finals, and it's going to come down to you know making a few shots versus missing a few shots. It's, again, cliche as it sounds, that's what the NBA has designed itself suddenly to be. It's not you know a lot of going to the free throw line and, and isolating or, or running one play over and over like the Jazz did to get the pick and roll. It's just it's not what the league is anymore. See, uh, do you see any backlash to that? Any chance there's going to be rule changes down the way? Or is this the road for the future and you might as well build a team because the rules aren't changing? This is, this is what people want and this is what the NBA is going to be. I think the league's constantly changing because teams are figuring out how to you know, attack what the opposing weakness is. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's a constant chess move year to year where, again, the, the Milwaukee Bucks and Toronto Raptors give up a lot of three and they're the best defensive teams in the NBA. So, that doesn't make any sense if everyone's trying to shoot threes and they're letting you, that they're still winning so many games. So there's something there, and there will be an adjustment. And, look, I, I always kind of believe that the league and the style of basketball is dictated by the best player. So when that was Michael Jordan, teams had to try, try and figure out how to score around Michael Jordan or, or defend him. So they built their teams accordingly. And then Shaq came into the league 
and everybody had to have a seven foot guy who had six fouls and you know weighed almost three hundred pounds just to put a body on him. And then LeBron comes in the league, and it's no surprise that all of a sudden Jason Tatum, Pascal Siakam, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, all these six eight to seven foot tall guys that are super athletic that can put the ball on the floor become in vogue and it just it changes as the league changes you know uh, but but Steph Curry was probably the best player in the NBA for a couple of years and everyone tried to mimic that and everyone's shooting threes now so when the next best player comes into the league or the next fad comes into the league it will adjust and I think it's it's foolish for the NBA to try and fix it or get away from it it's also you know some of the most exciting basketball I think that the NBA's ever had. You think there'll be any fallout for what happened to Gobert and then his comments after the game? I bet you Rudy gets fined. I mean, you probably, you can't say I'm going to do justice myself if the referees are calling. <laughs> I don't think you can threaten to hurt somebody. Uh, also, OG Ananobi should probably be suspended a game. I, I don't want to sound uh, like I'm having an overreaction, but you, you really cannot swing at a player like that, especially at a player's head, especially at an elbow where, with an elbow, I mean, he he sized Rudy up. If Rudy wasn't seven feet tall, I, he really could have, you know, hurt him and, and done damage to the Jazz and done damage to the Jazz's, you know, uh, playoff hopes. I mean, they're going to make the playoffs, but an injury like that, if it's a concussion or a broken jaw, can cost you what five games? Cost you twenty games if it's a broken jaw. So, I, I mean, I think you absolutely need to let the Raptors and OG and Obi and the rest of the players recognize that. Hey. You can't do it. But it's also the second night in a row that Rudy Gobert has almost gotten into a fight. He almost did it uh, in Detroit as well. So, I mean, I think the frustrations that he's having on the floor are starting to boil over a little bit as well. Yeah, I could sign off on both those things. I think that uh, finding, finding Rudy for popping off like that in the post game, man, I was sitting right there. That was, that was hard to believe he said that. And then uh, the suspension, I think you're, you're probably spot on with both those things. So the toughness, yeah. the toughness angle, the fact that they got out-rebounded by 19 boards, that they were giving up three and four shots on some possessions, uh, that they let two guys get loose for 11 offensive rebounds on a night that, you know, second night of back-to-back, fifth game on a Western swing, all the excuses are built in and even reasonable that they'd be low energy, but this other team plays with more toughness and more energy. How does Quinn address that? Yeah, I mean, sometimes that's focus and you know we, we talked a little bit last night about there by the time they get back on Thursday they'll have played seven games in seven different cities so I'm sure they're a little tired but they shouldn't have been more tired than the Raptors were last night especially as shorthanded as they were so uh, that, that comes down to playing hard and sometimes that just comes down to focus and, and what you're trying to accomplish and you know the Jazz no pun intended took their eye off the ball and gave up too many rebounds and, and sometimes it was some weird matchups but for the most part, it was just the Jazz not kind of putting in the effort, and, and that's you know that's the problem. You can't let your offense or poor offense dictate whether or not you're grabbing rebounds or whether or not you're trying hard for certain loose balls. And I thought for the most part the Jazz were fine. I was a little surprised, honestly, at the end of the game that the, the rebounding battle was that disproportionate, but you, you need to fix that. You need to find a way to get those rebounds. Put more than one game as far as stock into the Jazz versus Oklahoma City. Uh, I mean, certainly Rudy Gobert talked about how he had watched them. He was at shoot around yesterday. And he talked about how he watched them Sunday when they beat the Celtics because he thinks there's a potential playoff matchup there. And and we we have no idea what's going to happen over these last 18 games of the season. You know, you're an injury away from the Clippers falling from the two seed down to the you know six seed potentially if it's the wrong guy if Kawhi gets hurt. So. 
I, I think it's hard to, to know who you're going to be playing or trying to position yourself on who you're going to be playing. But, no, I think this is an important game. I think this is a, a an upper-level team. It's not a great team, but it's a good playoff team. Uh, it's a team that the Jazz have struggled with this season. They really haven't had an answer for Chris Paul in any of the games, including the win. So I think it's an important game. I think you're, you're starting to get to measuring stick games and, and games that are going to determine your playoff seating and, and potential future of who you're going to be playing. So, no, I think this is actually a really huge game for the Jazz. Don't you think that they are probably going to face Oklahoma City or Houston in the first round with a possibility but a less likely chance it ends up being Dallas or Denver? Yeah, I mean, they probably the safest bet is ending up in the 4-5 matchup. I still think that's the case. Now, you look at Denver's schedule, and they certainly hurt the Jazz last night by getting the Bucks, who simply just weren't trying. I mean, they put out five new starters for the first time all season. Uh, Denver's schedule is just brutal. They have to play, I think it's the fourth or fifth toughest schedule the rest of the way. You know, and the Jazz are 16th. The Jazz aren't don't have an easy schedule by any stretch, but Denver really has some, some landmines that they're going to have to avoid if they want to continue to be in that top two or three. So, I mean, I think ideally, if you're the Jazz, you can pull in that three seed. Yeah, you can get matched up with Oklahoma City or Dallas uh, with the six, and you avoid you know that four or five matchup, which would be Houston and Denver. And I, there's going to be a really fun first round series this year. I mean, I think all of the first round series in the West are going to be really fascinating. But I think you're probably right. They're going to have to be a little bit more consistent to make sure they don't fall themselves at, at four or five. But there's a good chance that that's what happens at the end of the season. Ben, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks, guys. There's Ben Anderson from Late in the Show on Monday. When we come back, we're going down to BYU Spring Football. Utes are off for spring break, but for BYU, it continues. We're going to hear from Kalani Sataki next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Spring football rolling on at BYU. We're going to start you off. A couple of conversations here. First, with James Empey. What have you learned about yourself this spring? Um, <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, so far after the first week, it's been good. I feel like everybody's kind of meshing together. Um, uh, Unit-wise, I feel like we're messing together. We're trying to to get better at, at things that, um, you know, we didn't do so well last season, trying to take the next step as a unit and as an offense and as a team, really, in general. We uh, are just uh, trying to correct correct our flaws and, and be the best we can be and, and use this spring to, to really get better uh, and take advantage every minute of it. So, uh, so far, just learning about the team, we've got a lot of fight, and uh, everybody is competitive and wants to get better and, and has a lot of drive. So uh, I'd say that's what I've learned so far. Last year, I mean, you guys are a very talented group. Last year, there was a lot of hype, a lot of momentum going into the season. And to some, they felt like you, you didn't meet that expectation. Did you guys feel that at all? And, and did you guys kind of feel that there was some accuracy in that, that assumption? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, nobody knows better than us, right, where, where we, uh, we have our goals and the things that we want to achieve, and, and we fall short of them. That's, that's rough, you know, and it, um, the, the good thing about it is we got the guys in our room to, to really build on it. And, and take the positives from last year because there's lots of positives. I mean, we had a, uh, an okay season where we were able to, to learn and grow and get better, and we got the guys, and uh, I feel like we got the guys right now that can, that can take the good and take the bad and, and build on both, you know what I mean? And so, um, yeah, nobody knows better than us, and uh, we're just trying to take those next steps forward right now and take advantage of our opportunity so that in the fall we can uh, put it all together. Has this impressed you from your vantage point through the first week and a day? Uh, all together or? Individually. Any individual, individual like to you? Unit-wise, offense, O-line. Okay. Um, man, I, I'll tell you what. We got, we got guys, man. And it's nice, it's nice to have Tree back. Tree's healthy um, and, and playing well at a high level. Brady is just, he's killing it, playing at a really high level. We got guys like Clark Barrington. And Shannon Herring and Blake Freeland and those guys that are really stepping in and, and being positive and Kiefer's healthy again. So we're just having all these guys back. And, and I'd say um, everybody, it's just been great to have everybody back and healthy and, and ready to go. And, and like I said before, oh, we, got, we all got a long ways to go and, and we're not nearly close to, to where we need to be yet. But I uh, feel like we've got the guys to do it. Coach said that it felt like at times... The other team was tougher. How physical did you guys last year? What's it like when your coach says that or brings it up? Because he says he brings it up quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Coach Mateo, he, he's good. Coach Grimes is good. They're, they're good at pointing out uh, the ugly truths um, and, and holding you to the standards and goals that you've set for yourself and for, for your unit. And so, I mean, that every, every great coach does that. They, they help it keep you to, to what you say you're going to do, helps keep you to your goals and, and uh, the things you want to accomplish. And, and sometimes it's, it's recognizing those ugly truths. And, and at times last year, we didn't, uh, we didn't play up to, to where we needed to be. But um, like I was saying, I think, I think the guys in our room are, are taking it. Uh, one day at a time and, and striving to, to build on everything and, and, and not drinking the poison. So. The poison, man. <laughs> not drinking the poison, man. So Don't, drink the poison. Don't drink the poison. Uh, how does one block, technique-wise, Kyra Stoner? Um, with a lot of – got to be scrappy if you're going to block Kyra's because Kyra's – man, Kyra's if, – if anybody has, has uh, ever experienced blocking him, they know that he's, you know, he's just a really strong dude. He kind of goes where he wants, and so – uh, to block that guy, you got to be a little scrappy, and you got to fight your your butt off every snap, and and uh, things like that. Things like a great D line, players like Kyra Songa, and and all those guys that you go up against every day. That's the stuff that makes you better. So, just I'm super grateful to have him on my team because that means I don't have to block him in games, and uh, he makes me better in practice. So, yeah, how much better do you think you've become because you're going against him on a daily basis? Now, there's not that many guys that you get to face that are like that, so it's kind of yeah. unique. But how much does he really make you better? Yeah, guys like him and Zoe and Bracken and Nyssa, all those guys, they they are competitive and they work super hard and all the all the um guys on the, on the front seven of the defense and the secondary that do a great job going against guys that that are competitive and playing really hard that that makes you a lot better so i feel like any chance you get to go up against one of those guys even if it's not your favorite thing to do it's going to make you better and uh so having having a great defense like like i said is is uh something that um, you get better. I don't know how, how better to, to gauge yourself on that, but I know we do get better by, by playing guys that 
uh, play at a really high level. You and Brady have received a ton of accolades, and, and uh, I know you don't want to drink any poison here. Yeah, no poison, man. No don't. poison. I don't want to hear no poison. <laughs> but that being said, um, very talented, and uh, you both have goals of playing it at the next level. Uh, is it a possibility that you guys could make it to the NFL even after next year? Is that something that you've, you've pondered? You know, um, every, everybody's dream is to go play in the NFL. And so if, if somebody says that that's not their dream, they're lying to you. Um, and, and without drinking the poison, I just think we've got to take every day during the spring to get better and then every day uh, in the summer to get better and stronger and then every day in fall camp to get better and then every day in the, in the season. So uh, well, I, guess, I guess only time will tell, but uh, we have a ton of work to do up until then. Last off season, I don't I don't know if you were able to maximize your off season like you wanted to um, in the weight room, etc. Maybe a little dinged up, right? And so this off season, how do you feel? And do you feel like you can really maximize uh, what you're looking to accomplish, like in the strength and conditioning room? Yeah, I've, um, I feel healthy. I know a lot of the guys are getting back to being healthy. We still got a couple guys that are dinged up, but like I said, Keith and Tree are back and and healthy. And so uh, just like unit wise and offense wise, I feel like maximizing um, our off-season time is going to be, be critical. Maximizing the springtime is going to be critical, um, especially how we have such a great strength staff and a great nutrition staff and training staff, and, and they're finding different creative ways for us to get better and stronger and, and uh, using the research to, to um, you know, help us along the path. I, I feel like we have all the resources we need, and uh, we'll be able to, to accomplish that goal of getting better this off-season. How often do you talk tech with your pops? Often, Yeah. <laughs> That's that's what's fun about it, you know. I mean, uh, I can I can call him. I'll call him the, and it's funny because you know, growing up, he'll talk football. And I don't get what he's talking about, and he's keeping it simple for me. But now I'm learning a little bit more every day, and I'll call him. I'll be like, "Dude, guess what I learned?" And he's like, "I've been trying to tell you that this whole time, you know, <laughs> ten years." <laughs> but uh, it, it's it's good, man, and he's he's doing well, so that's that's good. Coach said that he wanted the offensive line to be the leaders of the team by the end of spring. That was one of his goals. What do you guys have to do to do that? Because you guys are on a team filled with leaders and, you know, a lot of guys that kind of have taken on those roles. What do you feel like you have to do to, to um, just, I, I feel like you just got to bring it every day in practice. And and if uh, if we're paving the way, other guys are going to follow. Um, and uh, I, there's some guys in the unit that are a little bit more vocal than others, but um, everybody grinds, you know, and everybody, everybody works really hard. So if we can take a next step and, and work even harder and, and play harder and faster and, and bring others along with us, I think that we can accomplish what, what coach has in mind. There's BYU's James Ampey. Now here's the head coach, Kalani Sataki. Good practice today, and I'm looking forward to tomorrow. And, uh, you know, after uh, five practices, I feel really, really excited about what we got going. We uh, always have some guys that got bang, banged up a little bit, but uh, they'll be okay. They'll, they'll all heal up and uh, we'll keep rolling with it. So uh, I see a lot of progress, a lot of great competition, and looking forward to keeping it rolling. Talk about, there's been talk about guys entering the transfer portal here in spring. Mm-hmm. What's that like just as far as, you know, having guys make those decisions here at this point? Yeah, I think that was, it's, it's kind of hard to, like, even talk about it uh, specifically, just being respectful of, of the players. But uh, the portal's there for a reason, and it's always going to be um, full, you know, so... Um, there's a probably a lot of different. There's a variety of reasons why someone would enter the portal, and um, but I, I think from where we're at, it's a positive thing for me to, to to speak to them and help them out, and so support them. And anyone that wants to go there, I think most the most important thing for them is want to play football and 
and I'm excited to, to help anybody out. That everyone that's left here in the, and gone in the portal, it's always been a positive conversation with me. We've talked about it before, and just in the sense of like trying to convince them to stay versus you know if they don't want to be here that you want to help them find a good spot. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a balance that I imagine you have to strike as a head coach to depending on circumstances and things yeah. like that. And also, if they're making the best decision, you know, is it an emotional decision? Is, does it need more time? I think it's important for me to advise them in the right thing and and uh, kind of take a, a step back and then hear them out a little bit as well. But um, if they don't want to be here, then it's not going to work. But it doesn't mean that it has to be a negative thing. It means that, uh, you know, I, I care about them. And if I care about them, then I'd like to see them have success somewhere else. And, and that's important to me and as a, as a person. But I think it's important for those guys and the relationships that we have with them. And if, I, if I tell these guys I care about them and I love them, then I think that never stops. Did Devin give you a reason that you can share with us? No, I don't think it'd be really um, appropriate for me to get to talk about him specifically. But there's a, always a variety of reasons, you know. But I think I'm going to respect him and, and allow him to share that if that's what he wants. But I think for, for, for us and what we want to accomplish, I... There's a lot of guys that want to be here and they want to they want to represent BYU and and I'm okay with it. And that, that's uh, I'm also okay with guys that don't want to be here. So we'll work with the guys that want to be here and want to want to help us win. In terms of you guys trying to find prospects in the portal, are you guys still looking or is that closed for this? Oh, you're always interested, you know. But I don't know if there's a uh, it's like it's a crazy effort to look and and, and to make that like a plan you know that it's not like we go in it with a number that this is what we want to sign with a graduate transfers I, I believe that um the fit is the most important part and then it's got to fit in the numbers and also fit in the scheme and, and with our, our needs as well what percentage of guys roughly have entered the transfer portal and then came back because some of the guys have come back that have entered the transfer portal for you. um i don't know i can't i can't think of all the numbers but yeah there's guys that have come back and there's guys that have uh, are walking on you know, as a result of it, and and I, I, I warned them of the, the uh, you know the options and, and the uh, possible results. You know, so uh, that's just part of the deal. And and uh, but before making the final decision, I think it's important that they know what's all out there and the possible outcomes. And I, and I try to educate them as much as possible in it. You mentioned that you know guys have gotten banged up maybe a little bit here early on. Anything significant, or, or is it just the no. normal bumps and, br- bumps yeah. and bruises you expect after practice? Yeah, probably just bumps and bruises, and nothing too too. Um, I don't think there's anything that's too severe. But I, I think also there's a lot of guys that have tons of experience that I don't know how much more. Like a Troy Warner comes to mind. He's having a great spring, but I don't know how much more he really needs, um, other than just the polishing up part. There's other guys that need to compete as well, but Troy's come out here competing like he wants to win a starting spot. And I think we've got to have a great balance between all of it, them getting as good as they can and working on their craft and, and their assignments, but also uh, getting them to the to the fall camp and trying to get them there. I think it's important, especially guys that have already proven themselves on the field. Is this happy with your, your playmakers and your depth at receiver, or do you feel like you might need a little boost? No, I'm happy with the guys that are there. Yeah, I, I, I feel really good about them. Um, the receiving position specifically, Gunner is a great one, you know, and Dax. And so we just lost uh, three seniors that had tons of experience there, but it gives them opportunities, and they're the ones making all the plays now. And I feel good about the guys that are new to the position, the guys that are still, um, um, you know, that are still, I guess, progressing and, and, and developing, and then 
there's going to be some new guys that we bring in with recruiting that, that we've already signed. So I feel comfortable with it, and I feel really more comfortable with the O-line and the, and the quarterback that can throw the ball. So uh, I feel like they just need their opportunities, and they'll make it work. On that note, how has Neil improved his game in the year that he was just practicing? Yeah, I think I talked about it last week. I think the competitions made it really good for him, and that he's taken advantage of it. And whether he wanted to or not, you know, he was going against our number one guys, and I think it's it's made him better. So um, we'll see, you know, when we get to the live stuff. But I, I think he's he's a guy that's been on the field quite a bit, and I don't think it's going to be all that brand new to him. I know Tyler Algier going to play running back. Was that? Is it decided that Tyler Algier is going to be? Yeah, running he's back? he's running back full time. Okay. Yeah, that's. That, yeah, he didn't play any defense today, but he's he's going to be running back. I think the guys that we have in that group is going to be it's going to be a really talented group. You know, so um, yeah, I feel comfortable with him being there full time, and I feel good about the linebackers. Pro days a couple weeks off still, but how many conversations do you have on average weekly with NFL personnel? Um, almost daily. Yeah, they want to know about our guys and and uh, about opponents as well. You know, so I give them as much feedback as I can and. And honest feedback, and, and um, you know, try to promote our guys as much as I can, but also be honest about uh, the evaluations I have on others. You mentioned Troy Warner. Any other standouts from looking back at the first week of spring ball? He comes to mind because he's just—it's been—he's been away. You guys like him and, and Chris, I think they're just already proven guys. But I think he's stepped it up a lot in, in terms of his game, and so I'm just really excited about him, you know. But. Um, the others, I, I feel like we have a lot of experience coming back now in a lot of different positions, and um, even some of the, like receivers, those guys have played a lot of games. You know, I talk about Dax and and uh, Gunner, you know, and, and guys that can play there, Keanu can play there too, and so I, I feel like there's just some guys that haven't had as much opportunities as others, but I think this is going to be the moment for them. But really, for the most part, we have a, a pretty veteran group of guys that are coming back. One of your most experienced groups is the offensive line. What's mm-hmm. your expectation for, for them this, this offseason? Well, they know. We, we have super high expectations for them, and, and I think that uh, our whole team, you know, we just we need to push them to get better. And uh, the urgency has got to be there, and, and that's what we're focusing on, getting them better, every every one of them, and, and also competing. You've got a lot of guys competing for, you know, the guys that have started competing for five spots, and so... It's going to be interesting. It's been fun already for the first five practices. Looking forward to seeing them continue it on. But I, I see them get all getting better. And then we've had some new faces that are kind of, you know, we're welcoming Kiefer back and, and Mo Unatoa's in the mix too. And then Tristan's been hurt for a little bit, so now he's back. And, I mean, there's a lot of guys that have played a lot of games and a lot of experience, so it's going to be fun. Let's go Do you think their strength is pass pro right now or in, in the run blocking with their body types? Everything has to be their strength. It all has to be great for them. They have to be able to run block and pass pro and, and lead and do all that stuff, and it starts up front. So um, I, I expect a lot from that group. What about the yeah. development of the defensive line? As long as we're talking trenches, it's good yeah, both sides. they're coming along really well. I think going against a, a talented offensive line is going to help them, but, um, you know, Kyrus is leading the way with them there, and there's some guys that can't participate in spring. I mean, Devin was one that wasn't going to play spring at all anyways, and, but Lopa's um, hanging around and then given opportunities for others to really start to flourish. Zach Daw, I'm just waiting for him to really to really uh, emerge and become a big-time player that we think he can be. And there's a lot of guys. I know I'm forgetting about a bunch of people there, but there's a lot of talent there and guys that are just waiting for their moment. 
We saw him appealing in a white jersey. You make the switch. Yeah, he's DN now. Yeah. Was that switch made last week? Or when you... Um. Yeah. You know, he's really strong. We have a talented group at tight end. He's a strong guy. He's in, in, as far as numbers, he's one of our strongest guys in the weight room. And um, when he played here as a true freshman, it was more of an athletic tight end target. And uh, now we think that he's starting to fill out and start getting really big. And uh, I'd like to use that on the defensive side. He had some really good plays today. And so he's really smart, loves the game, and could give us a, a boost there at the end. How close are you to getting a running backs coach hired? Um, closer than I was last week. <laughs> <laughs> the process, it's like, you know, it, it, I think we've, I think we feel really good about how it's going. Harvey's done an amazing job with the group so far. And so we're uh, going through all the entire process that um, best way to say it is that, yeah, we're, we're, we're close. What are the qualities you look for in, the, in a running backs coach? Um, I think number one is, is uh, basically being, being able to adapt to their players and loving them and teaching them. I think the the teaching part is, is, is the game of football has changed a little bit and the way the methodology and how guys learn and so I think it's important that we stay up to date on everything there's, there's enough research out there that shows us that this group learns differently than I did when I was their age and so uh, staying on top of the times is important so being able to adapt and change your ways and, and change the, the message I think is important and then uh, just having that connection with the players I think that it's important to be you know, I think it's important to be honest because uh, that's how they grow. But I think it's important to love your players because that's the connection. If you're not, if you don't have a connection, then it's hard for them to even learn from you and trust you. So, someone that fits that criteria really is really important to me. There's BYU head coach Kalani Sitaki. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.